Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. Opening day is upon us. I'm Kyle Glazer here to break down the American League. I'm joined today by Jeff Ponce. Jeff, I got to tell you, Thanksgiving, Christmas, 4th of July, all great, all lots of fun. For my money, opening day is the best day of the year. I'm stoked. I'm amped. I'm ready to go. And uh, I'm just glad we have a Major League Baseball season after a lot of uncertainty, what it was going to look like, when it was going to start, how it was going to be structured. But the day has finally arrived. We've got a full 162. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm excited and I'm happy to be joining here on the podcast. But I like opening days in general, and they all sort of build up to MLB this year, right? We had you know, college, we have uh, AAA obviously started before the other leagues did, but it started before the major leagues did, and then we have the major leagues kicking off tomorrow. It's so much fun just to, to see the teams, all the overreactions the first week or so, where you know hope springs eternal still, and a really bad team can maybe take a series from a good one, everyone panics one way or the other. Everything that comes with that, I really enjoy. Um, but I like the pomp and circumstance of opening day with baseball. I don't think there's many sports that can that can match that, frankly, if any. It's funny. You talk about overreaction after one weekend. Last year, when the Orioles swept the Red Sox on opening weekend, Red Sox Nation was freaking out. And they won 92 games and reached the ALCS. So remember, everyone, it's okay. It's just the first few games. But uh, nonetheless, it's that excitement, it's that passion that – we all love and share, and uh, it's going to be a fun year this year. There's been a lot of movement, a lot of big free agents have, have changed teams. We have a potentially historically good rookie class here in the American League. Jeff, before we dive into the top storylines, the divisions, breaking down everything, I do want to talk about our preseason picks. Uh, the 2022 Baseball America MLB season preview is on newsstands now. Subscribers should have received their copies a few days ago. It's an amazing cover with Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, uh, the Tiger Kings, and Online, you can also see all of our picks for breakout hitter, breakout pitcher, disappointing team, uh, surprise team, but it's all kind of staff picks in terms of our predicted standings, division winners, and award winners. Uh, But here we can talk a little bit about our individual picks. And Jeff, you and I picked a different team and different player for every single preseason award. So I want to start with you. Who is your pick to win the American League this year and why? Yeah, it was the Chicago White Sox. And I just feel like Number one, this was a you know very good team last year. Um, I would say that it's probably you know an easier division uh, than what any of the AL East teams are going to deal with. That's going to be an absolute absolute battlefield. Um, you know the AL West, obviously you know with Houston, and then we have the upstart uh, Seattle Mariners who have brought up all their players. They seem completely invested in this program at this point and trying to be competitive in this window. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the AL Central soon. But, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of teams underneath them, Detroit, Cleveland, Minnesota now, where they're all going to sort of beat up on each other and they're all sort of flawed in one way or another, where the White Sox seem like a team, as long as they stay healthy and they already dealt with some injuries, but not to the extent that they did last year. We see a full season with Eloy um, you know, Jimenez in the lineup and Louis Robert. I think that, you know, both of those guys can be potentially impact bats some of the other guys, Moncada, et cetera, are going to be a year older, a little bit more experienced. And, you know, regardless of what you think about Tony La Russa, 
this is still a guy who, you know, has won championships. He knows how to win. He knows how to make decisions and sort of, you know, stand behind them. So I think, you know, for me, I think that with the AL East teams, as good as they are, there's four teams there that could really beat each other up over a long period of time. And anybody could win, as we saw in the playoffs last year with the Red Sox beating the Rays. So, you know, White Sox, I like their pitching staff still. I know Lance Lynn is hurt, um, but they have the ability to make some moves. And I also picked, we'll talk about this in a minute, but Lucas Giolito as my AL Cy Young winner, I think is going to be a big year for Giolito. So I think that's sort of why I picked the White Sox. But the thing that's fun about baseball this year, but particularly the American League, is there's probably six or seven teams that legitimately could win the pennant. There's no question. I think anytime you're talking about preseason predictions, you probably don't want to go bet the house in Vegas. You want to bet 20 bucks, go ahead. But these are all things that, generally speaking, we tend to get proven wrong about over time. So this is uh, certainly a fun exercise, but not one that should be considered scientific by any means. I went with the Toronto Blue Jays. I think they are probably the most complete team in the American League. And to be clear, the White Sox are an excellent, excellent team, better health. In a lot of ways, the fact they won 93 games without having Luis Robert, without having Elo Jimenez for as long as they did, it really is a testament to just how talented they are. And I think they have a chance to be even better this year. When stacking them up against the Blue Jays, and I do think these are the two most talented teams in the American League, although the Astros and Mariners are certainly in the conversation as well, the Blue Jays, to me, get the edge just because I like their starting rotation a little more. I think there's a little more depth there. We saw Lance Lynn go down with an injury, and already the White Sox have Vince Velasquez now as their fifth starter. And Vince Velasquez is completely cooked, as anyone who watched him last year with the Phillies and Padres realizes. Whereas you look at this Blue Jays starting rotation, and it's kind of amazing. They lost the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner in Robbie Ray. And this is still probably the best top four in the American League. Um, and you say Kikuchi is interesting to me because one of the things about the Blue Jays that I don't think they've got enough credit for, they've had a lot of success fixing talented but kind of broken left-handers. When they acquired Robbie Ray, he was broken. He was completely lost. He had tried to shorten his arm path, follow the Shane Bieber, Lucas Giolito example. And again, it's just about finding what works for you. That worked for those guys. It did not work for him at all. It was a complete disaster, completely lost the strike zone. The fact that he's a Cy Young Award winner two years later is remarkable. And the Blue Jays deserve a lot of credit for that. Steven Matz as well, always talented, can never stay healthy, really had lost his effectiveness. Goes to Toronto, they do some things with him. He's really, really effective. I think there's a chance they do it again with Yusei Kikuchi. Again, very talented, very inconsistent. If he's your fifth starter behind Jose Barrios, Kevin Gossman, Hunjin Ryu, and Alec Manoa, that's a really, really, really good rotation. And I think this bullpen is criminally underrated. Jordan Romano, for my money, is probably the most underrated closer in the American League, really probably in MLB. Then you look at guys like Trevor Richards, Julian Merriweather, Adam Simber. These are good relievers all the way around. And oh, by the way, this is an offense that finished near the top of Major League Baseball in every category last year. Uh, they lost Marcus Simeon. It's a huge loss that should not be underrated. But you still go Springer, Guerrero, Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Lourdes Gurriel. I mean, Matt Chapman's the number six or seven hitter in this lineup. You're in a really, really, really good spot when you can start with that group at the top of your order. I, I just think this is the best, most well-rounded, most complete team in the American League. And on top of it, they have prospect depth to go make trades and get key guys at the deadline if they need, more so than the White Sox can, more so than 
almost any other team in the AL short of the Mariners can. Um, you know, the Rays as well, potentially. But I just think this is a team that's loaded right now and they have the resources to reload as needed as the year goes on. Yeah, it's difficult to disagree with that. And I think you bring up a good point about the bullpen where, you know, it's not one of these bullpens that has like a ton of firepower, but there are a bunch of guys who have consistently gotten outs at the major league level. Um, not that there isn't some firepower. Merriweather, some of those guys obviously throw hard. But like Simber, some of those guys are underrated relievers. And, you know, I think that they've done a good job of uh, bringing along a lot of young players. And they still have, as you said, some prospect depth to potentially make some moves, which the White Sox do not have. Um, so I wanted to, I guess, then ask you a little bit about, um, you know, sort of MVP awards and Cy Young, because both from the AL East. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. AL MVP award again. When you're talking about individual awards, so many different things can happen. As a talented as Shohei Otani was, I don't think anyone predicted him to win American League MVP last year just because he had never stayed healthy for a full season doing both hitting and pitching. And he responded with one of the greatest seasons of all time. So you never really know. I want Aaron Judge, contract year. I just think he's going to have a huge, huge, huge season. And it's kind of interesting because he came up, set the rookie record for home runs, was the talk of baseball. And then he almost feels underrated now just because he hasn't, again, been able to approach that 52 homer, 114 RBI type season. But you look at it, and to be clear, that was his best season. He's never been quite that again. But he's struggled to stay healthy. And even with that, he's pretty consistently been one of the better hitters in the American League over the last four seasons when he's been on the field. Last year, uh, played 148 games, really his first healthy season since that rookie year. And, I mean, again, he was fourth in MVP voting, average, on-base, power. It was all there. And, oh, by the way, great defense in right field. I just think he is, again, he's healthy. It's a contract year. That stadium, the power numbers he can put up in that band box. I just think Aaron Judge is going to have a huge year and win, a, win his first MVP award. You went a different way. You went with someone uh, from a smaller market team, someone who just became a very, very rich man this morning. Take us through your AL MVP pick. Yeah, so I threw out there uh, Jose Ramirez. And I always try to with these, like I I honestly just don't want to go with the chalk pick, you know, uh, Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. It seems like, and like it might be right, but I just, you know, I like to put something else out there and think a little bit different. So I went with Jose Ramirez who, thankfully signed a contract, a long-term contract with Cleveland today, um, which I think was probably a bit of a surprise to some people in the marketplace that thought, you know, negotiations had gone south there and that potentially he might get moved. So he's locked up, I think, for six or seven years. Um, not confirming the details in my head right now. Um, but I do think Cleveland is a team that's in this division, as we talked about, that there's a lot of these teams sort of bunched together they have one of the deepest 40-man rosters um, outside of probably the Rays or the Dodgers they have a ton of tradable assets still that they could acquire more players to build around Um, I think they could potentially be a player here they still have the you know a good pitching staff not great but it's led by Bieber you got Plesak you know Savali a few other arms here that could be in the mix as well as some guys that are on the 40 man roster that could fit some of these innings. Um, it's a pretty good bullpen and they have young talent and a young core that's maybe a year away and guys like Valero Rocchio, um, but they could still be sort of valuable additions at the end of the season. Um, should they need that depth? 
So I think they're a really interesting team. And I think Ramirez is in the prime of his career. Um, I think one of the best all-around offensive players in the game. There's some value there in defense as well. And he could be in for another big season. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, they win 85, 86, 87 games. You know, they're an above 500 team if he gets some MVP consideration. Because if that goes uh, that way in terms of them winning that many games, Ramirez is going to have to be really good. (laughs) Yeah, Jeff and I are going to have an interesting debate about the Guardians and their playoff chances when we move into our AL Central discussion. But to be clear, I I do think that if he's healthy, Mike Trout probably wins. But like you said, picking someone who is a little bit maybe off the board, not the popular pick at the moment. um, You know, it's just, again, I think both these guys, what we're talking about, you know, some of the best players in the league regardless, and they have a legitimate shot. Jeff, you alluded to your AL signing award pick earlier, Lucas Giolito. He was actually my pick last year. He had a good season. It was not a great season. Uh, ultimately, was not really a factor. He did get a few down-ballot votes. He finished tied for 11th in AL signing award voting, tied with uh, Ray Iglesias, the Angels' closer. So, again, it was a solid season. It wasn't a spectacular season. What do you think is going to happen here for him to take a step forward this year and ascend to that Cy Young caliber level? Sure. And I think if we look back on like the last three years with Giolito, um, you know, he's been really good. I mean, the, the ERA in terms of like, you know, the surface level numbers, what actually happened as, as Kyle likes to say, um, it's all been around, you know, three and a half runs in the American league. I think, you know, that's a pretty good number. It's sustained success. In a hitter's um, ballpark, by the way, in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. The command has gotten better. Um, I think he's, Still getting strikeouts, but I think he pitches a little bit more to contact than he has uh, in past years, even though he's a little bit more of a fly ball guy than he has been uh, in previous years. But I think that he's one of these guys that consistently is working on his craft, working on his body, trying to improve his pitch shapes and his pitch mix. Um, And ultimately, he's on a good team, as I mentioned. It's a division where I think that team's going to win a lot of games. He goes deep into starts. Um, has a full season after having to ramp up, you know, after the previous year. I believe that Giolito has the ability to put together that sort of all-time season for him. Um, he's 27, 28 years old. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen this year or next year, I, I, I feel. So I think he has the perfect setup as sort of the ace of that staff right now and a good team um, that should be pretty good defensively behind him as well. He could win, you know, upwards of, 18 or 16, 17, 18 games. Uh, and I think that win total ultimately with the, the votership could <laughs> uh, win out because I think the ERA and the other numbers are going to be there as well. I want Jose Barrios with the Blue Jays. Again, I, I think that, and to be fair, they need to do it for a few more years to be considered in the echelon of Cleveland or the Rays or the Dodgers in terms of their ability to get the most out of their pitchers. But just seeing what the Blue Jays were able to do again with Robbie Ray, with Steven Matz, and how they were able to elevate them and, and get them to pitch to their fullest potential in a lot of ways. I mean, Jose Barrios very quietly has pretty consistently been one of the better pitchers in the American League really since 2017. His career numbers are a little inflated by that really, really rough debut in 2016. And the shortened season in 2020 wasn't his best year either, but you kind of throw out those two outliers and look at his four full seasons in the major leagues, 17, 18, 19, 21. He's pretty consistently been one of the AL's better pitchers. And last year, I think without a lot of fanfare, he had a really, really, really good year. And it only got better when he went to Toronto. 
the strikeouts are up, the walks are down. You talk about pitchers entering their primes, hitting that peak in that 27, 28 range. He's turning 28. It's frontline stuff. It's durability. It's an organization that is showing the ability to get the most from pitchers at the major league level. Uh, and again, another guy who's going to get a lot of run support. There's a good bullpen behind him. I think this could be a year where we look up and Jose Barrios is 18 and six with an ERA in the low threes. And he's got 200 plus strikeouts and 50 or fewer walks. And if you think that sounds crazy, last year he had 204 strikeouts and 45 walks. I mean, it was explosive stuff in the strike zone. I just think he has the profile, the talent, and the opportunity. I think it's all there for him. And he's my pick to win the AL Cy Young Award. And again, Garrett Cole is going to be in the conversation. If Shohei Otani's healthy, maybe he's in the conversation. There's, there's a lot of talented arms in the American League, to be clear. Uh, this is just my pick. I, I think he's in line for a really, really big year in Toronto and give the Blue Jays their second straight Cy Young Award winner, Pat Henkin, Roger Clemens style. Oh, man, as a Red Sox fan from the 90s, you're really burning me with those names there, uh, particularly Clemens going out the door. But it, it's interesting, nice little segue here. There's a lot of names in the American League that are potential Cy Young winners. There might be just as many names in the AL Rookie of the Year race. And we both picked two different players here. And I think it's interesting because they're both guys that were sort of in this triumvirate uh, at the top of our top 100 standings that you actually wrote some great articles about in the offseason. So you went with Bobby Witt Jr. I went with Julio Rodriguez. There's probably another dozen names that could potentially uh, be in the running there. Why Witt over Rodriguez? Yeah, so we're going to go deeper into this American League rookie class to be sure as we move forward in this podcast. Uh, our colleague Matt Eddy wrote an article today about how this could be a historically good rookie class in the American League. I really did think hard about this one just because you had just so much talent. And to be clear, if Julio Rodriguez wins American League Rookie of the Year, no one should be surprised if Adley Rutschman comes back from his triceps injury, goes off, and wins Rookie of the Year. No one should be surprised. Spencer Torkelson, no one should be surprised. Ultimately, I went with Bobby Witt Jr. And it's interesting. I kind of studied rookie success a little bit over the years, just kind of leading our, our rookies coverage every year at BA. And one of the things I found consistently is the guys who tend to win rookie of the year overwhelmingly have AAA experience and not just, you know, token, oh, he was service time AAA experience, but real AAA experience, you know, quarter to a half season or more. And even the guys who jump straight from AA to the majors, they have more time than Julio Rodriguez has had. Julio is a tremendously talented player. Um, he has 46 games above the Class A levels in his career. And ultimately, just looking at the history of, of how big of an adjustment period it is, what guys who are able to produce to the level that they're able to win Rookie of the Year, where they've been, where they are in their development path. Ultimately, the fact that Bobby Witt Jr. has more time at AA and more time at AAA than Julio Rodriguez, I think will allow him when we look up at the end of the year to put up bigger numbers and ultimately win the award. I think Julio, there will be a steep adjustment learning curve at some point, whether it's he has a slow first month and then he picks it up in May, or maybe he has a hot first month and then he hits that wall in May and June. We see sometimes happen to rookies. I think he'll be a really good player. I think he'll help the Mariners make the playoffs as we talk about later. And I think when we look up at the end of the year, he'll have had a very nice season 
But I think Bobby Witt Jr.'s experience at higher levels will allow him to hit the ground running a little bit faster, maybe work through some of the slumps and the setbacks a little bit quicker just because he has that upper-level experience. He's seen more advanced arms. He has more experience playing at that speed of the game, and especially with the quality of play in the minors last year and how much it declined from previous years. Jumping from AA to the majors, when you look at what last year's quality of play was, is not the same as it was in previous years. I just think at the end of the day, that AAA experience is going to give Bobby Witt Jr. the edge in production and ultimately voting at the end of the year. Yeah, the only thing that I'll say in counter to the AAA thing is uh, Julio did play in the Olympics. And yes, he did. did see some advanced pitching, some former major league guys there. Um, so I think it's a, it's a little bit unique. And I'll say, you know, the other thing about him to me is – it's just underlying skill-based approach with, with Julio that I believe in a little bit more than I do with. And, and to be clear, I had Julio, the top 100 that I turned in preseason before our list got put together, I had Julio one, and then I had Witt two, and then Adley three. So I, I definitely believe in both of these guys. Um, it's just, you know, can Julio be sort of that transcendent contact on base, power guy, He's in a really good lineup. It's a good situation. So there's not, you know, he's not going to be hitting four or five. Um, not that I think that's going to matter so much for Bobby Witt Jr. And in a lot of ways, I could almost see a, uh, you know, a Trevor Story sort of rookie season where he just comes out of the gate, hits for a ton of power, and then maybe has some, you know, adjustment or struggle periods with the strikeouts sort of pop up later in the summer. But I think both of these guys are, you know, neck and neck in terms of, you know, who, who you're going to go with. Ultimately, I took a little bit of a risk here with Julio Rodriguez, um, and I guess somewhat surprisingly, he broke camp. So we'll see how that all works out. But uh, I'm, uh, I, and again, I think you know, for me, you mentioned your top 100. I turned in the top 100 with Adley one, Julio two, Bobby Witt three. So again, I do think when we look up at these guys' careers at, at the end, when all said and done. I do give Julio a slight edge. Again, we're talking about tremendous talents who have a chance to be the faces of their respective franchises moving into the 2020s. You can't go wrong with either of them. Just when you're trying to kind of find the margins of, okay, who would you pick between these two supremely talented players? That's one of the guy I thought might be a little tick more major league ready. But again, if Julio Rodriguez wins AL Rookie of the Year and has this enormous year and there is no adjustment period or no significant adjustment period, no one should be shocked. He's, he's that talented. Um, again, it's a fun discussion to have because you're talking about two tremendously talented players. They're, they're, just as we talked about our top 100 discussion, there's no wrong answer. You know, Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, or Bobby Witt, the answer is yes. You take any of the three happily. It's, it's neck and neck. So it's a lot of good players. And um, that, that kind of leads us into the top storylines of the season. Uh, these are the ones that I'm mostly going to be watching and, and definitely wanted to talk through with you, Jeff, because I think they're the most compelling storylines of the American League in 2022. First and foremost, is this the year the Seattle Mariners and the longest playoff drought in North American professional sports? It's been 21 years. They were last in the postseason in 2001. I do think this is the year that drought ends. I think the Mariners have the best record of any wildcard team in the American League. I think they win 93 to 96 games. And I think the Emerald City sees playoff baseball. Do you believe, Jeff, that this is the year the playoff drought ends for the Mariners? I do. Um, I think when you look at not just the amount of talent that they've stockpiled over the last few years in particular, um, a lot of the things, uh, players that they've uh, 
you know, gotten on the trade market. They built a really nice team that I think sort of dovetails together nicely in terms of defense, how they fit together in terms of sort of lefties and righties. Um, they have plenty of power. They also have a ton of upside within the lineup as well. Um, guys like Jared Kelnick, you know, could potentially improve. I think J.P. Crawford is a somewhat underrated player now uh, after being, you know, maybe a bit of an overrated prospect, depending upon who you talk to. Um, Ty France, I think, is a really good hitter that gets underrated. Adam Frazier, um, you know, gives them some versatility that they, they certainly need. And then obviously the acquisition of Jesse Winker and even sort of buying low on Eugenio Suarez, I think, um, you know, provides them with some legitimate thump in the middle of that lineup. Uh, guys that work deep in the counts and, you know, as we talked about earlier, stretch the lineup. I think that's important, particularly in, you know, you know the American League. And actually, I guess the National League now with the, with the DH as well. Um, so these lineups aren't going to have to change much. Uh, they also have some, some bench depth. I think they're carrying three different catchers. So however it shakes out between Tom Murphy, Cal, uh, Cal Raleigh, uh, and Louis Torrens, they have three potential options there that, you know, aren't a nothing offensively. So I think that's sort of interesting. Um, and then some some versatile bench players and guys like Abraham Toro, uh, Dylan Moore. And then you go through the lineup. They added the AL Cy Young Award winner that we just talked about when we were going through on the Blue Jays with Robbie Ray. Um, they have a couple of young arms here in the rotation between Logan Gilbert and Matt Brash that debate, uh, debuted last year that I think potentially be improved. Um, and they have a lot of interesting looks in terms of arm slots and, you know, the type of pitchers that they have in their bullpen. As we've seen with a lot of different teams, particularly the Rays and the Dodgers, that is definitely a way to be successful in terms of uh, how you utilize your bullpen and sort of keeping uh, the opposing lineup and the manager uncomfortable in terms of who's in there, in terms of personnel. So I think it's a really interesting team. Uh, and they also have a window where, you know, Oakland Athletics, who have been a competitive team for a few years, have certainly taken a step back. Yeah, I picked the Mariners as the team that had the best offseason in Major League Baseball. And the reason I did that is because they added a lot without losing a whole lot. You talk about the Blue Jays, for example, and they added a lot of guys, but they did lose the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner and Marcus Simeon, who was third in American League MVP voting last year. And if you look at Marcus Simeon's last two full seasons, you know, throughout the 2020 season, his last two full seasons, He's been one of the top five or six players in the American League. I mean, those are significant losses. Again, I think the Blue Jays are good enough to overcome them. But when you just look at the offseason in a vacuum, the Mariners got a lot better. They filled all their holes. They needed a left field upgrade. They got it. They needed to find players to play second and third base. They got them. They needed a front of the rotation type of ace. They got him. And they didn't really lose much. Kyle Seeger retired, obviously a franchise icon. Um, but I just think on the whole, this is a team that, was really good last year. They won 90 games. They added a lot of talent. There's a really, really good farm system here. And they did trade Brandon Williamson to go get uh, Winker and Suarez. But most of their top guys are still there. They haven't moved them. There's pitching depth and the rotation. And you mentioned this bullpen. I think, you know, Drew Steckenrider and Paul Sewald are two really good under-the-radar pickups they've made that have been productive for them. You add Diego Castillo and Andres Munoz, two guys who can pump 100. Again, there's just a lot of talent here in the rotation, the bullpen, and this lineup. And, and you mentioned the bench. I'm glad you brought that up. I think this is maybe the strongest bench in the American League. Abraham Toro, Luis Torres would be starting for a lot of teams. Cal Raleigh was one of the best catching prospects in baseball. We'll see what they do with him and Tom Murphy. 
Dylan Moore is a, a nice piece to have. He's a nice little player. I, I think this is just a really well-rounded, complete team with guys who are going to continue getting better. We saw Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert have their moments and have their rookie struggles. I think both of them are going to take a big step forward this year. I, I do think we'll see, again, rookie pitchers tend to have some ups and downs. Matt Brash and George Kirby, I think we'll see at some point during the year. There will be flashes. There will be moments of frustration. But at the end of the day, both have the kind of arms that can really, really benefit a team, especially down the stretch when everyone's getting kind of gassed. I just think this is a really good, complete team that was already good. They added a lot of talent. I do think it's worth noting, you know, the offense last year was near the bottom of baseball in just about everything. But, again, adding Adam Frazier, high contact, adding Jesse Winker, a really, really good power hitting outfielder that's pretty underrated um, you know we'll see what Eugenio Suarez still has he kind of finished last year strong which makes it a little bit intriguing that maybe he's you know potentially got a chance to be better than what he's been recently add Julio Rodriguez step forward from Jared Kalanick and JP Crawford I'm glad you made that point this is what he should be your number nine hitter a really good defensive shortstop who gets on base out of the nine hole he was not a power guy he shouldn't be your leadoff guy but he had a decent season last year. I think he's in the right spot, the right role now. I just think a lot of guys are going to have big seasons. It's, it's a talented team. And again, if they suffer injuries, if something goes wrong, they have the number one farm system in baseball. They can go get guys at the deadline. Um, they're just a really, really good team. And I think they're going to push the Astros in the AL West. And if they beat them for the AL West division title, I won't be surprised. But at the very least... Um, you know, people talk a lot about the AL East. I just flat out believe this is a better team than the Rays. This is a better team than the Yankees. I think they're deeper. I think they're more talented. And I think we'll see that at the end of the year in the final standings. Yeah, uh, it's hard to disagree with that. I, I think, you know, everything that you hit on there in terms of what Seattle did this offseason and then what they have in terms of assets uh, to potentially trade for reinforcements, depending upon injuries or, you know, just players potentially underperforming at a particular position, they have the ability to do that. And, you know, the ability to make those upgrades ultimately is, you know, what gets teams over the hump down the stretch in August and September. Yeah, I, again, I, so basically the answer is yes. Is this the year the Mariners end the longest playoff drought in North American professional sports? I'm a yes, you're a yes, take it to the bank. Uh, Jeff, I actually think that, there's another story, though, that will have the biggest impact on the American League playoff race, and it has not a whole lot to do with roster construction or individual player health in the traditional baseball sense. I think something that's not getting talked about enough is the effects of the vaccine requirements to get into Canada right now. So keep in mind, these could change as the year goes on. Um, we, we see you know, rules and regulations constantly shifting depending on case numbers, hospitalization numbers. But as of right now, in order to get into the country, you have to be fully vaccinated. You have to have two doses of a COVID vaccine. And there are players on the Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays who are somewhat major contributors who may or may not be vaccinated. Um, within the industry, there are some players who are known not to be vaccinated, who are big names, at least as of a couple months ago, were not vaccinated. The Blue Jays get 29 home games this year against the Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays, with those teams possibly not having everyone able to contribute. Those teams could be without some of their key guys. And in a division where you had four teams win at least 91 games last year, nine games separated first place and fourth place, 
getting 29 home games against teams that might not be at full strength, might be without some of their best players, that's an enormous advantage. And I think, frankly, gives the Blue Jays a chance to run away with the division. 29 home games against your biggest division rivals who could be playing shorthanded, that's an enormous advantage and one that I think could allow the Blue Jays to rack up a lot of wins in this division and run away with it. Well, I just think we should also mention um, that the Blue Jays have, I believe, the same sort of restrictions and, and qualifications in terms of coming into the United States. Um, I don't know this 100%, but I, I think my understanding is that all of the roster is vaccinated. Um, I'm, but like I said, I'm not 100% sure on that. But, you know, it, so it is an advantage uh, if that happens to be the case. But if they have some key contributors that aren't, um, they could also be looking at it in terms of a lot of travel games. Now, I would imagine the fact that they have to travel so much in the United States and also uh, play spring training, all that sort of thing. Maybe they are. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's one of these things where it's, you know, sort of the, the long-lasting impact and effects of uh, the COVID-19 you know, pandemic. And it's, you know, to a degree, there's still elements of it going on. So um, another thing to keep an eye out for, and I'm sure – the first time that a potential big name player from particularly the Red Sox or the Yankees, um, huge fan bases, very passionate, competitive teams, uh, large media markets, particularly for baseball. Uh, the first time that one of those guys is not in the lineup and is not playing in an entire uh, series in Toronto, and if, particularly if it holds, and we're talking about later on in the season, um, I think that it will be one of the biggest storylines of the year and it's gonna get press and coverage, a lot of different angles of coverage uh, throughout the year. So um, one of those things that you know we'll be talking about, but probably don't wanna be. Yeah, again, I, we'll see how the rules and regulations change, but, but as of right now, foreign nationals need to have two doses of an approved vaccine to get into Canada. And if there's key players on those teams who don't have that, advantage Blue Jays. Jeff, the Astros, in a lot of ways, I feel like people kind of are discounting them. Okay, Carlos Correa is gone. You know, the Mariners are the new team that's surging in the American League West, and it's their time now. The Astros, and again, for reasons very understandably, are not considered uh, one of the great teams uh, of, in recent memory because of the uh, illicit sign stealing scandal in 2017. But they've made five straight American League Championship Series, and they've represented the American League in the World Series in three of the last five years. Th this is the reigning American League pennant winner. This is the standing American League power right now. Again, five straight ALCSs, three of the last five World Series. And I think you have to give them some credit for their staying power. You know, after 2019, they lose Garrett Cole in free agency and Justin Verlander isn't able to pitch in 2020. They still make the ALCS. They rally in the postseason. Then after 2020, they lose George Springer. And again, Verlander's unavailable because he had a Tommy John surgery late in 2020. And they get back to the World Series. Now they've lost Carlos Correa, and there is a point where you say, okay, you've just lost too much talent now. Again, potentially losing Cole, Springer, and Correa, you know, those three guys, that'll take a toll. At the same time, they've shown a pretty impressive ability to keep it going. Do you think the Astros keep it going? Yeah, you know, I think they certainly can. And the other thing is there's more teams making the playoffs this year, and I think that certainly plays a factor. Um, but you look at the top of this lineup. If they are healthy, which they weren't completely last year, you have Altuve, Michael Brantley, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Yuli Gurriel, 
Kyle Tucker, who's one of the top players in the game, is going to be like your five or six hitter. Um, Jeremy Pena, who we'll see how all that works out. It looks good. Internally, I know that there is a lot of enthusiasm around Jeremy Pena. I think they showed their hand there without, you know, re-signing uh, Carlos Correa or one of the other premier shortstops that were available there on the open market. Um, he's really good defensively. You know, he's shown the ability, you know, field to hit, um, some on-base ability. Um, the power showed up a little bit more over the last year. We'll see if that holds. Um, but if he is the kind of player that they think he is, then you're really only talking about, you know, Chaz McCormick and Martin Maldonado, who are up the middle players that provide defensive value. And then you have a pretty decent bench and you have a good rotation. I know, um, you know, Framber Valdez, Louis Garcia, Jose Urquidy are all arms that they've, you know, more or less produced internally um, that I think get outs, you know, they can go five to six innings. They still have a strong bullpen. I mean, you see what you get from Justin Verlander if he's healthy for a full year. It can even be 80 to 90% of what he used to be. That's still a really, really nice rotation piece. So, um, you know, are they the team that they were, you know, two or three years ago, maybe even last year? I don't know. But this is still a playoff team with a ton of talent up and down the lineup. And there's really no holes until, you know, your eight or nine hitter. Uh, which I think speaks volumes, especially when you talk about, you know, a middle of the order that has, uh, you know, Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker, and Uriel. All guys that can, you know, hit for average, hit for power, uh, and work deep into the bats. And Alex Bregman like, was hurt last year. And, you know, they still went as far as they did. They still won as many games as they did. Full season of him, um, you know, he's another guy that could potentially be in like the AL MVP candidate uh, conversation yeah, Bregman was my pick for bounce back player this year. Uh, had the lowest OPS of his career last season, and the World Series was bad in that wrist injury. It was just a complete non-factor. Getting him fully healthy, I think, is going to be a big, big boon to this offense. And you're right. I mean, it sounds crazy to say you can lose George Springer and Carlos Correa in consecutive years and still have one of the best offenses in baseball. And it's a testament to the organization, what they've built. That top six is as good as any top six in the American League. And probably is the best top six in the American League. And I think the starting rotation, no matter what happens, it'll be a good rotation. Urquidy, Garcia, Valdez, you have Javier in reserve. I know I wrote about it last year. That's really been what's allowed the Astros to extend this window, how well they developed a lot of these young Latin American arms. They signed for very low bonuses. I think Jake Odorizzi still has something to offer. And then with Justin Verlander, and we have to see how long Lance McCullough's forearm strain keeps him out. Uh, I guess technically it's a strained flexor tendon. I feel like if those two guys aren't 100%, this is a good rotation. If those two guys come back fully healthy and are as good as they have been, this is a great rotation. So I think either way, you've got a good group here with the potential to be great, depending on the health of Verlander and McCullers. So... And again, I, the Mariners are a really good team. I've said it. I think they're a 93 to 96 win team. I think they make the playoffs easily. I think that they are a force to be reckoned with. I just think you can't really pick against the Astros yet. Um, this is a team that's into five straight ALCSs and three of the last five World Series. And until someone actually knocks them off, I think you got to kind of give it to them. They, they've shown again and again the ability to win and reload 
despite big losses. And I think until proven otherwise, they're the team to beat. And we talk about managers. Dusty Baker's as good as it gets. Um, I think he's finally getting his due a little bit. And I think that the Astros will once again be in the thick of contention and he'll be a big part of that. All right. So I want to stay in the West, Jeff. And this is a storyline that is kind of a storyline every single year, uh, but we do need to ask it. The Angels have... I'll just say it. They have the two best players in the world. Mike Trout, when healthy, is the best player in the world. And not only that, I mean, he's the player all others measure themselves against. I always kind of enjoy when I'm doing MLB coverage and uh, just interviewing other players or coaches. They'll make offhand comments about, you know, the game is hard. It's a game of adjustments, you know, how, all the difficulties. And they'll say, unless you're Mike Trout, just offhand. They just, he's the standard they measure themselves against. And Shohei Otani, again, is the most uniquely talented player in the world, and you can argue the most uniquely talented player in Major League Baseball history. Babe Ruth didn't do what he did last year, didn't come close. Um, It was an unbelievable season, and the ability of these two guys is truly unparalleled in Major League Baseball. Despite that, the Angels have not made the playoffs since 2014. They've had Trout that whole time. Otani came in 2018. They have not had a winning record since 2015. Is this the year the Angels finally break through and A, have their first winning record with both these guys on the roster? And B, is this the year they finally get to October with both of them? I think A is possible. I don't think they're going to end up in the playoffs. Um, We talked about how deep the AL East is. Um, You know, we talked about Houston, we talked about Seattle. I don't know if, (laughs) if the Angels have enough. We look at the top of the order. You still got Otani and Trout. Jared Walsh is a good player. Anthony Rendon um, should have a bounce back year after being, you know, a little hurt and beat up last year. The question I have is at the bottom of this order, um, you know, are we going to get breakouts from Brandon Marsh? Is Joe Adele going to, you know, sort of prove that he's an above average, sustainable major league regular? Uh, That's still a big question. This is a lineup that has, you know, Tyler Wade, uh, David Fletcher, who is a fine player, but, you know, certainly not a star. Um, Max Dossi, the bench is sort of, you know, made up of sort of a bunch of different guys that could potentially fill in for Tyler Wade <laughs> or Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh. It's not a lot of star power there. You know, it's, it's sort of a pretty shallow lineup. Uh, and then you have some questions in the rotation just across the board. Um, Shohei Otani isn't, you know, your typical ace as much as we love it. We love seeing a guy like that. Ideally, you probably want to have, you know, a full-time 200-plus inning sort of pitcher ahead of him uh, and, you know, run your six-man rotation. Patrick Sandoval was a really nice breakout last year, but he's never really been able to sustain health uh, for a long period of time. Noah Syndergaard, sort of rinse and repeat there, (laughs) you know, and really is the stuff as good as it's been is the big question with Syndergaard. It wasn't when he came back for a short period of time last year. Uh, Jose Suarez... Michael Lorenzo, um, you know, nice depth pieces, pieces. I don't know if Lorenzo can stay healthy. Jose Suarez is kind of an interesting underrated name, I think, a little bit. Then they got Reed Detmer. So they have righties. They have lefties. There's a group of arms here. There is certainly a world where all of those guys stay healthy and, you know, perform at, you know, sort of um, an above-average level. I just think a lot of stuff has to go right here between the lineup and the outfielders breaking out and then the pitching staff staying healthy, staying effective. And I even think outside of a couple of arms in the bullpen, you're asking for the same thing. 
outside of, you know, Rizal Iglesias, who's an excellent closer, and, you know, Ryan Tapera, who has got MVP votes, but is a, <laughs> is a pretty good, a pretty good reliever. Um, but there's a lot of questions otherwise. And I don't know if they have the sort of depth or, uh, you know, personnel on the edge of the major leagues that can make that much of a difference. And they don't really have enough prospects that they could trade, you know, for a bigger name. Uh, and then we don't know about what the contract uh, restrictions are, et cetera, that we've sort of heard some rumors about uh, over the last couple of years. So I'm much higher on this offense than you are. Um, one of the things to consider, I actually think this offense is very underrated. You know, Mike Trout played only 36 games last year. Anthony Rendon only played 58 games last year. Despite that, they finished 10th in the majors in batting average, and they were in the middle group, the, the 10 to 20 group, and most other categories. I mean, this was a lineup that without two of their best players was an average-ish to slightly above average lineup, you know, give or take a couple spots. This, with full health, um, Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon, and I actually do expect both Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh to take big steps forward this year. Joe Adele in particular, I think is going to have a breakthrough season. I actually think this is a pretty dangerous lineup that's very underrated. Fletcher's swing got out of whack last year. I think it'll be better. I actually think this has a chance to be, when we look up at the end of the year, a team that in most offensive categories is in that top 10 or top 12. It just comes down to the pitching, as it always does with the Angels. Um, we've talked about Shohei Otani and Noah Syndergaard. When they're healthy, flash you ace-like stuff, but both have significant injury histories on the mound. Patrick Sandoval and Jose Suarez – I think, again, are very underrated. I don't know if people realize how good they both were last year, but it was over short workloads. They were both under 100 innings. So both of them, if they can continue doing what they did last year over 140 innings, they'll be fine. But that's a giant question mark. Michael Lorenzen converting from the bullpen to the rotation. We'll see how that goes. Reed Detmers is a really good prospect, but we see young pitchers. It can take a while sometimes for everything to kind of come together. And Griffin Canning's coming off an injury. He was really consistent last year. That's a guy that the talent's in there, but the Angels have a long history recently of, of just not getting the most of their homegrown pitching prospects. So I think the bodies are there for them to be okay as a pitching staff. Not great, but serviceable. If Otani and Syndergaard stay healthy, Suarez and Sandoval, or even if those ERAs are in the low fours over larger workloads and Detmers is able to provide a, a steady kind of you know reliable guy at the back of that rotation they'll be okay but it's a lot of ifs it's a lot of question marks and there's not a lot of depth here and what we've seen over the years with the angels by the time they get into august both the lineup and the rotation they're relying on a lot of call-ups of guys who are really triple a guys masquerading as big leaguers just because they don't have the depth i will say the Angels struck out in their endeavor to go land a true frontline starter in free agency this year. And once they did that, I did like the pivot where they said, okay, we missed on that. Maybe let's try and shorten some games to help us get through this. They signed Ryan Tapera. They signed Archie Bradley. They signed Aaron Loop. The bullpen has a chance to be better than it's been in recent years. Resigning Rayso Iglesias was big. Um, Austin Warren was a nice breakout guy last year. Mike Myers has shown some things. You know, Ty Buttry came back from retirement. He's shown flashes. We'll see what he can bring. So I, I think that the bullpen's in better shape than it's been in recent years. Uh, but again, it's a lot of ifs. You're relying on, on depth you don't really have in a lot of cases if something goes wrong in August. I think they'll get to a winning record. 
you know, is it 83.79? Is it 86 and 76? That, that's all possible. Do they crack the American League playoff field? You know, I, I wrote about this as part of the expansion of the playoff field that if you go back to 2013, excuse me, 2012, the sixth best team in the American League averaged 87 wins per year. Could the Angels get to 87? I think the answer is yes, but I think they probably come in a little under it and maybe just miss the postseason. But I can see it happening. Yeah, no, um, I kind of agree there. I just, I have no idea if they're going to end up making the playoffs or not. That, uh, that'd be great if they did. I think everyone would love to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in the postseason. All right, Jeff, final storyline before we hit the break. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but this is a potentially historically good American League rookie class. The top five prospects on the BA Top 100 are all position players in the American League. Matt Eddy, our colleague, has a post up today about the most productive rookie classes of all time and how this one has a chance to join them. We talked about Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr. and Adley Rutschman and Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, uh, Witt. Rodriguez and Torkelson are opening in the majors. Rutschman and Green uh, suffered injuries. They should be up in the majors as soon as they get healthy. And, and even behind them, we've talked about Jeremy Paney. We've talked about Reed Detmers. There's a lot of rookies who have a chance to play big roles this year. What are you going to be looking for from this group? Yeah, Matt Brash is another one as well that we uh, discussed that you know certainly could be in the conversation. You know, I think it's just how high-end are the seasons going to be between Witt J-Rod, Green, Torkelson, and potentially Rushman. But I think, you know, for Witt, J-Rod, Green, and Torkelson, they have an opportunity to all have sort of top 50 offensive seasons um, within the American League, and I don't think it would be a huge shock to anyone. And there's some ability with Witt and J-Rod and, you know, maybe um, even Green and Torkelson that they have sort of top 15 sort of seasons. If everything really goes right, the talent's certainly there, the power, the ability to hit, um, you know, Witt, Green, uh, J-Rod as well can run a little bit. Um, and there's defensive value with these guys too, um, you know, particularly with that trio. And then of course, Adley, if he's healthy. So I think it's just, it, even on some of these bad teams, there are a lot of talented players to watch, whether it's, you know, I don't think Kansas city is going to be a really competitive team this year, but Bobby Witt jr. And then, you know, potentially some other young players like Prado or Melendez, et cetera, coming up, make them really watchable. I think if Adley Rushman is on the Orioles and active, the Orioles become a lot more interesting to watch just to see, you know, how Adley handles the pitching staff, how he handles, you know, major league at bats. And then you know, how he sort of rolls into that lineup that all of a sudden maybe looks a little bit better with him there. Of course, J-Rod, we're going to be watching the Mariners, uh, Green and Torkelson, you know, if they're together in that lineup, Detroit looks a little bit more for formidable than they've looked in a few years, especially with the acquisitions of you know, Javier Baez and, and Austin Meadows around them. So, um, it's interesting to see all these guys could really not only play key roles for their teams, but be sort of the face of the franchise um, for several years going forward based off of really good rookie campaigns. And I don't think any of them being good this year would shock any of us. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned twins opening day starter, Joe Ryan. He's a top yeah. rookie this year. The guy that I'm watching for as the rookie that maybe isn't getting talked about a lot, he's going to have opportunity. He's going to be on a good team. And I think, you know, if you're talking about who's the guy that's outside the, the big five, so to speak, that, you know, when we look up, could actually maybe win rookie of the year that no one's picking right now. 
I'm looking at Josh Lowe with the Rays. Um, the trade of Austin Meadows, I think that was a great get for Detroit. Um, it opens up playing time for Josh Lowe in the Rays outfield. He had a really good year in AAA last year, a year that I think went under the radar a little bit. Even, you know, we study prospects and watch prospects and no prospects. And even I didn't realize how good of a year it was until I was kind of digging through the, the top 20 rookies research for this year. Um, that's just a guy that if you're going to pick a rookie outside of the, the big, big name guys, he's a guy I'm watching that might be able to, to put together a nice year for Tampa and just kind of add to this rookie class. And oh, by the way, Shane Boz, who made a postseason start last year, <laughs> will be in that rotation as soon as he recovers from a surgery to remove loose bodies in his elbow. So it, it's going to be a fun year in the American League. Uh, we just discussed the storylines. We haven't even dived into all the divisions yet. Uh, we're going to do that after the break. Uh, first here, a quick word from our sponsors. We are back. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce, breaking down the American League for the 2022 season. All right, Jeff, we talked about our preseason picks. We talked about our top storylines that we're going to be watching this year. I want to dive into the divisions and go even deeper now. I want to start with the AL East. We've talked about the Blue Jays a lot and how they have all these advantages in terms of me thinking they're probably going to be the American League champion the advantages they're going to have playing their home games against a lot of their division rivals who might be without some key players. Um, but this is a division where we had four teams win more than 90 games last year. Three of them made the postseason. And I think it should be, again, a really, really good division when you talk about the Yankees, Rays, and Red Sox. I feel like we hit on the Blue Jays enough. I, I do want to talk about the Yankees a little bit. I want to start with your thoughts on them and their outlook for this season. Cause I have uh, some strong thoughts and feelings on some things, but I want you to start. And just from your perspective, is this a team that once again, will, will be in that low nineties win range, or is this a team that has a chance to get into that 99, 100, 101, maybe even 103 type of win team and get back to being that juggernaut at the top of the American league? Yeah, I th- I certainly think that it's possible. Um, you look at the lineup on paper, there's few teams that have as much power as they do offensively. And then in terms of their pitching as well, um, you know, they added Josh Donaldson this off season. If Donaldson is healthy and hits, that's a really good pickup. That's, you know, that's another, uh, a guy that sort of lengthens the lineup, maybe not the lefty power that they wanted, but they did get Rizzo. They did get, um, Gallo, they resigned Rizzo. Uh, in the off season, there's a lot of veteran sort of power hitting at the top of this lineup. Donaldson, Judge, Rizzo, Stanton, Gallo, Glaber Torres could have a bounce back year. I think, you know, there's some other questions about them defensively still. I do think they shored up a little bit by, you know, adding Isaiah kind of falafel. Um, falafel? You mean falafel? Falafel. I said falafel. Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah kind of falafel uh, as... Falafel. 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 Isaiah kind of Falefa as their shortstop, who's really good, who's really good defensively, um, which I think is a huge upgrade from what they had to deal with last year in the infield, particularly with Glaber Torres there at shortstop. He's not a shortstop. Um, the rotation certainly has some question marks after Garrett Cole, but I do like Jordan Montgomery this year. Luis Servino is healthy. Um, we know, you know, he could be one of the better pitchers in the American League, even if he's 75 to 80% of that. I think you'll take that as a number three starter. Uh, Nestor Cortez was a breakout last year. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that is a little bit unusual, gives them a little bit of a different look. 
But I think the organization has shown a lot of faith in him uh, in particular. He's one of these guys that sort of was a later breakout from them. They developed pretty well. Uh, and they have him as their number four, number five starter this year. Uh, and then, you know, Jamison Tyon. Jamison Tyon is healthy, I think, is a pretty good rotation option. That's a good one through five. There's just still some question marks, uh, heavy question marks from two to five. Um, the bullpen is always good. I mean, the Yankees probably always at every time have like 40 relievers that could possibly get outs in the major leagues. But that said, they're going to strike out a lot. I think that there's still some questions defensively. Um, there's a lot of guys with injury history here in this lineup. So there definitely are some questions where they might have the biggest delta in terms of what their floor is in terms of wins and what their ceiling is in terms of wins in the American League East. So I actually think this is one of the biggest storylines of the American League this year and something that will have an outsized effect on the American League pennant race. It's pretty simple. Will the Yankees play better baseball? On paper, this is a really good team. In reality, last year, they played. They were one of the most fundamentally deficient teams I can remember watching from a team that had playoff aspirations. At best, they were disinterested defensively in the outfield, and you saw them doing things that, I mean, you don't see that happening on JV high school teams, this, where they were throwing the ball, wrong bases, not being attentive. The, the pre-pitch preparation was so stunningly lacking on this team's in terms of, okay, where am I going with the ball? What am I doing? If I'm on second base, what's happening if this ball's hit here? This was a really poorly coached team last year, just in terms of they were just not prepared for the game on the field defensively. Again, it was footwork. It was where we're going with the ball. It was the jumps they're getting. It was, it was really ugly to watch last year. They just played really bad baseball on the defensive sideline. Some of that was personnel, but a lot of it was just basics. And then we saw the base running. This team, I mean, to see in the major leagues, okay, runner on second, less than two outs, ground ball at a shortstop, and the guy on second goes. And it didn't just happen once. It happened, and then everyone's like, whoa, what are we doing here? And then it happened again a few weeks later. You can have however many superstars you want. You can have the highest payroll in the world. If you give away outs, you will not win, period. It, it does not matter what level of baseball we're talking about. Defensively and on the bases last year, this team was absolutely horrendous. Now, I will say a lot of the base running blunders, and again, it wasn't like they were even being super aggressive and getting thrown out at the plate by a great throw. They were committing mistakes that would get you benched in youth baseball. I mean, it was stunning to see, and then just not seeing it addressed, not seeing it fixed. That, to me, is on coaching. And the Yankees overhauled Aaron Boone's coaching staff, which, again, whether it was a methods issue, whether it was a messaging issue, whatever the issue was, very clearly, it was significant. We'll see if this new staff can get through to these guys a little bit better and just have them better prepared to play and just be in better, just play better situational baseball. Um, and then on top of that, you know, with the base running did get better as the year went on. They were up at the top of the league. They had 35 or so guys thrown out on the bases in the first two plus months of the season. The second half of the season was a lot better. So give them credit for improving there. But the defense, again, some of it was Glaber Torres should never have been asked to play shortstop, but there were just so many plays. Outside of Gio Rochelle at third base, who's now in Minnesota, 
I can't remember a team that was just more deficient in terms of just basic fundamentals, footwork, jumps, reads, pre-pitch preparation stuff. Where am I going with the baseball? You know, Aaron Judge is good in right field, and Joey Gallo is a good defender. Uh, I don't think much of him at the plate, but he's a good defender. To me, if the Yankees play even just sufficient baseball in terms of, hey, if we're, you know, average defensively, we do the basics right, and they just don't do things on the bases you would be shocked to see at the high school level, they'll win 95 games. And in some ways, the fact they won 92 games last year playing as poor of baseball as they did is a testament to how talented they are. Most teams that play that level of baseball, they win 70 games. I know, I watched them, the early 2010s Padres. It was kind of like that. I just, I just think that this team, you talk about the Delta, they have the potential to win 95 to 100 games. And to me, it has nothing to do with the players they, you know, I shouldn't say it has nothing to do with. Acquiring Isaac Kanafalefa, letting him play short, bringing in Ben Rortvet and Jose Trevino, two really good defensive catchers to pair with Kyle Higashioka. The up the middle defense should be a lot better. But these guys just need to be more engaged. These guys just have to be sharper. These guys just have to play better baseball. And, and that's on coaching. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing. If they do that, this team could probably win 95 to 100 games. If they don't, we're going to be in the same spot last year where they have to try and get into the playoffs on the last day of the season, and they're kind of an easy out. So I think this, to me, is going to be one of the more – it's going to be one of the biggest things that's going to determine the American League race. Do the Yankees just play good baseball? If they do, they're a great team. If they don't, it's not going to be any better than it was last year. So, Jeff, I also want to dive into – the division champion last year. It's funny. We've talked about the Blue Jays. We've talked about the Yankees. The race of the reigning division champion. I think anyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm a race skeptic. So uh, we'll start with you. Do you believe, are they a pennant contender? Are, are, are they a World Series contender? Are they a division title contender? What are the Rays this year in your mind? Yeah, I think they're all those things. Uh, based on what they've been the last few years, what the program is, the depth that they have, um, you know, they will go and they will buy low on a player uh, to sort of get reinforcements late in the year. They typically have enough sort of in their cupboard that they have the ability to do that without sort of damaging any of their future core. Um, Wanda Franco is another year older, uh, another year better. Um, you know, I think Brennan Lau is an underrated player offensively. They use platoons as well as anybody in the game. Um, they have a versatile bench that can fit a variety of different positions provide defense and you know some some offense uh, here and there depending upon the matchup and they're deep with pitching they're going to give you a bunch of different looks um you know they're going to manage their starters and their bullpen differently than other teams do um now the question is it does that equate to um winning series closing out teams when they can we've seen that they they haven't been able to do that in the last couple of years. Um, so I guess, you know, the question with them is really, do they continue this success in this sort of unusual manner in which they've done it? They do have as talented of a team, I think, as they've ever had. Um, when you look at some of these young players and what they could potentially turn out to be, um, especially if there's improvement from guys like, you know, Franco um, or, you know, Josh Lowe, uh, who's been sort of added to the team since they traded away Austin Meadows, who I think is an interesting player, but Meadows at the same time is sort of a flawed player defensively 
and at times I think can be overrated offensively a little bit. He's a pretty good fantasy player, but I can see, you know, where the flaws are um, in terms of the versatility and sort of mixing and matching in the ways that they like to do. Uh, this is an incredibly well-coached team. So I think it's sort of a good contrast. Uh, yep. to the- yeah, no, that's the big thing. The Rays have a lot less talent than the Yankees, but they play better baseball. They take infield every single day, and it's a sharp, crisp infield, and it shows up in games. This is a team that limits mistakes. They're, they're just fundamentally sound. Again, they don't give away outs, and that's a huge difference. The reason they won 100 games and the Yankees won 92 had a lot more to do with the fact that they didn't give away outs than any talent differential. I think a lot of people are focusing on some of you know, the analytics stuff. Just play better baseball you're going to win more games. And the Rays do that well. It helps them overachieve. It's funny. You say you think this is the most talented team they've had. I don't think this is a particularly talented team, especially in that lineup. I see two above average hitters in that lineup, um, maybe three, depending on what version of Brandon Lau shows up. And the, rota- the pitching staff, you're without Tyler Glasnow, Shane Boz, Nick Anderson, and Pete Fairbanks to start the season. Those are four of your best pitchers. And I would argue probably they're two of your three best starters and probably your two best bullpen guys. But the Rays have shown the ability to figure it out. They've shown the ability to mix and match. They have a deep farm system that will allow them to either make trades or bring guys up. They do a really good job of making sure guys are fully ready for the major leagues when they bring them up. They tend to hold guys down a little longer, but I think it's the right move because when they come up, they're really ready to contribute. They're not being rushed. So I, I think that betting against the Rays is a fool's errand. I think they'll be in the division title race. I don't think they'll win it, but they'll be competitive. Um, but there, there is a cap to how far they can go in the postseason. It is notable that for all the regular season success, outside of the shortened 2020 season, which was a setup that played perfectly into their strengths, they haven't won a playoff series since they made the World Series in 2008. Um, there comes a point where the other teams are also playing really good, sharp baseball, and they're just better. And the Rays have run into that a lot over the last couple of years. So I think we'll see something similar, competitive, good team, out in the ALDS. Um, I, I, I just think that's their cap. And, you know, I studied this a lot, you know, as much as we talk about money doesn't guarantee a World Series victory. But what we've seen consistently over the last 30 years is the teams that actually win World Series, they all come from the pool of teams who are in the top half of MLB and payroll. To acquire the star power and depth necessary to win a World Series costs money. And the Rays, you know, there's a limit to how far they can go with the mixing and matching. We've seen that consistently. So I I think they're a good team, but I I don't consider them a World Series contender on par with the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Mariners, the Astros. I I put them in a tier below. But Jeff, that brings me kind of to a different team that's very, very different than the Rays in the sense that they're a big market team. It's a lot of star power. Um, But again, they, when you look at it on balance, they have pretty consistently finished behind the Rays in the regular season. That's the Red Sox. Now, the Red Sox did beat the Rays in the ALDS, got to the ALCS, took the Astros to six games, and had a 2-1 lead. What do you think of the Red Sox this year? Because they were a surprise last year, winning 92 games, getting to the postseason. I think there was a lot of faith in the offense. There were a lot of questions about the pitching staff, but um, give them credit. Again, Nate Uvalde pitched really, really well last year. Eduardo Rodriguez, who's now gone, but he came back and, and had a nice year coming back off of a scary heart condition. He contracted due to COVID. They made some additions at the deadline that really beefed them up. Kyle Schwarber, uh, he's now gone as well. What do you make of this team, and do you consider them a playoff contender once again? You know, I, I suppose they're a playoff contender. The big questions that I do have with the Red Sox, though, 
is the pitching depth. There's a lot of questions around that pitching staff. Um, I think Nate Eovaldi is a little bit underrated in terms of um, type of season that he had last year for the Red Sox, I think sort of filled that front of the rotation void. Um, probably a little surprisingly, but if you look at the rest of the rotation, Nick Pavetta, who was a nice breakout story, he looked good in spring training, but if that's your number two starter, you're relying on guys like Rich Hill and Michael Waka, and you're going to bullpen some games and piggyback some games. I just have a lot of questions about how you're going to win in the American League East, which I know is kind of contradictory to what I just said about the, the Tampa Bay Rays, but we've seen them do it with the personnel that they have. I have some questions that the Red Sox can do that. That being said, it's a tremendous lineup. Um, you know, they adding Trevor Story certainly, you know, added another layer to their team. Um, particularly when you look at what their entirety of their, their infield is. Bobby Dahlback was pretty good down the stretch last year. And then they have reinforcements in AAA in a guy like Tristan Cassis. Um, so, you know, they have the offensive firepower, I think, on par with any team in the division. I just have a lot of questions about their starting rotation. And outside of Garrett Whitlock, kind of their bullpen. But I do think the one thing um, that you can certainly give uh, to Haim Bloom in just what his, you know, he's done with the Rays and sort of what they do is they build out a bullpen with a lot of different looks. I think the Red Sox are trying to do that. Um, but there's a lot of question marks and, you know, you're relying on some questionable guys or you need to step forward from a guy like Tanner Hawk or Nick Pavetta to really cement themselves as number two or number three, because Chris Sale is still pretty far off and over three years now has proven that he can't stay healthy. Yeah, I do believe in Tanner Hawk. I think he actually uh, has very quietly been a revelation for them. And the Red Sox have struggled to develop homegrown pitching, and he's been a really nice success story for them. Uh, but you're right. There are a lot of questions in the back of this rotation. I, you know, Chris Sale going on the 60-day IL to start the year hurts. Um, they signed James Paxton. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. You know, we, we have to see what he looks like, what he can really give them if he makes it back midseason, his TJ was, was in April of last year. So it's, it's not like he's ready, you know, going to be ready early. Um, I, I do think this is a, a decent team. Again, I, I think they're a good team. We saw them last year kind of have a lot of the same questions and still win 92 games and get to the ALCS. So I'm not going to discount them. Again, it's a really good offense. Um, you know, Trevor Story. I'm going to be really curious to see how smoothly the transition to second base goes. Um, one of the things you talk about Nate Yavaldi not maybe getting the credit he deserved I think part of that is he played in front of a pretty bad infield defense last year. Um, Rafael Devers is a great hitter. He's just not a good third baseman. He's just not. We need to stop trying to force that. Um, you know, Xander Bogarts is interesting. I would be curious to see if his defense improved, if he had a better third baseman playing next to him and didn't have to worry about covering as much ground as he does. There, there's a part of me that wonders if Bogarts' defense is actually kind of hurt by Devers at third. But Story's a, a really good glove. His arm, he's had some injuries that have created some questions. He's moving to second. You know, a short stop to second base transition. It, we see guys do it all the time. It's still different footwork. It's still different angles. There's still an adjustment period. So I think I'm going to be really curious to see the infield defense, what it looks like. And that could be something that, you know, if it's a little better this year, if Story, you know, plays really well at second and helps shore up the middle. Maybe that helps Bogarts a little bit and, and you get his bat in the lineup too. 
you know, I, I think that they'll be okay on the position player side, but, but the pitching questions combined with the infield defense questions, it's something I'm going to be watching more than something I'm worried about per se, but I'm going to be watching it at the same time. All, again, all these things were true last year and they won 92 games. So I don't see why they couldn't do it again. <laughs> Jeff, the last team in this division is the Orioles. And um, this is an interesting conversation to have. So I recently did a story for us here at Baseball America where I talked to front office officials around the game about the various rebuilds underway, uh, but not the newest ones that kind of just got started, the Nationals, the Cubs, the Reds, the A's, but the ones that are at least a year in, the Pirates, Orioles, Royals, and Tigers. And asking them, which do they feel like is most likely to succeed? Which that is most likely to not succeed? Um, my thoughts going in, just my own personal thoughts, I would pick the Tigers as most likely to succeed and the Orioles as most likely to not succeed. One of the things that, that came up in my discussions with front office officials is the tremendous amount of respect people have for Mike Elias and Sigma Dahl. And to be clear, there's a lot of people from the old Astros front office that people around the game don't think very highly of. Um, some of the names you'd expect from the sign stealing scandal and some other names as well, guys who might have a reputation, but in reality, there are a lot of people out there who think the reputation's overblown. There's a pretty significant universal respect for Mike Elias, both as a baseball mind and as someone who, who treats his employees well and runs an organization the right way. And Sig Dahl as well as someone who is open-minded, is, is not by any means a, a know-it-all type, even though he comes from kind of the quant background that we see some of those guys have sometimes. So I think it was interesting. There was more optimism surrounding the Orioles rebuild working out than maybe I felt or I would have expected going in. But when I look at this team, I think what stands out is this is a team that is three years into this. They've lost 108 games or more each of the last three full seasons. And I still don't think they're close. I still think they're another three, four years away because I don't see it anywhere near enough pitching. What are your thoughts on the Orioles and how close or far they are? So uh, my sort of take on the Orioles and I, I, you know, I've been a fan of sort of a lot of the moves that they've made. Um, I like their process. You know, I think that they've developed and improved a lot of players that have come into the system over the last couple of years, which is not something they had previously done. Um, but they're unusual in terms of like how they attack the draft. They usually underslot early and then sort of overslot later. Uh, and try to buy some players, you know, deeper down in the draft and in compared to where they probably would have gone. So some questions about that and how often it works or doesn't. And, you know, the gears will certainly tell us that. But I think one thing that we need to throw out there with the Orioles is the previous regime and program was archaic. They didn't play in the international market ever, which I'm sorry, that's always going to hurt your organization. And it takes years to sort of build up that scouting uh, circuit and, you know, sort of mechanism to be able to sign a lot of those talents. So, you know, I think that hurt them tremendously. The type of players that you can primarily went after in the draft, the type of players that they went after on the free agent market weren't necessarily, you know, in line with modern uh, valuations of players and what they should be play, paid and how they should sort of fit in. So I feel like they might have had a bigger mess to clean up than a lot of other organizations did and a lot of other rebuilds. Um, and they're, you know, they're also not as far as along as we'll say, 
you know, the Detroit rebuild has been where they've had, you know, top picks and been able to add players and then have those guys develop for a few years and touch the major leagues or be on the precipice of, you know, touching the majors. So I think that's certainly a big question, but um, they've acquired a lot of talent. They have arguably, or according to us, you know, the, the top position prospect and the top prospect in the game um, and a unique player in terms of a power hitting switch hitting catcher. There aren't many of those. Then you have guys like Grayson Rodriguez who, you know, top pitching prospect in the game, really exciting player, D.O. Hall, some other arms. And then even guys like Jordan Westberg, um, Colton Kowser, and others that they've acquired over the last couple of years have been, you know, pretty good prospects and I think could be maybe above average major league regulars. There's just some question as to when are all those guys going to be up? Who's going to hit? Who's not going to hit? You know, especially in terms of pitching prospects, we've seen guys um, on that level of Grayson Rodriguez not pan out. Um, so there's certainly some questions there, regardless of how good I think Grayson Rodriguez is. So they've acquired players. They've done a better job of player development. They've implemented a much more forward thinking uh, and progressive approach to acquiring players, identifying players, scouting uh, and player development. But I think it is very reasonable to question the results at the major league level and the fact that wouldn't it be nice if, you had all this talent coming up and you were still trying to add pieces at the major league level and at least be competitive. Even if you're below 500, there's a big difference between, you know, winning 78 or 79 games versus losing a hundred. There's a position player core in place that there's no question you can build with. You look at what Cedric Mullins has done and the new regime gets a lot of credit for helping him unlock some things. Ryan Mountcastle's a nice player. We have Adley Rutschman coming up as soon as he gets back from his injury. You know, Trey Mancini is still a productive contributor. Um, you have position players to work with. And John Means, again, this new regime deserves a lot of credit for helping him unlock some things. We talk about they're going to need some pitchers to take steps forward. That's an example of a guy who was not a lot of prospect radars, but took a jump and became a, a really, really good pitcher. So they need more of that to happen. What I fall back on is, you know, one of my, my roles here at BA and one of the fun things I've gotten to do is study rebuilds extensively. I had a whole giant cover feature on them a few years ago. I've, I've tracked more of them since. And this is an overly simplistic way of thinking about it, but just for purposes of this discussion, there are two types of rebuilds that work. The first is if you're going completely homegrown, you have to get the pitchers up first and follow with the hitters. The pitchers take longer to get acclimated at the major league level than the hitters do. If you bring them up at the same time or you bring up the hitters first, when the hitters are producing, the pitchers won't be. The pitchers need an extra year or two to get up to speed. And the biggest example of that was the Blue Jays of the late 90s who had this unbelievable lineup. And you look at this wave of young arms, they brought up Roy Halladay, Chris Carpenter, and Kelvin Escobar. Well, all three of those guys weren't good when those hitters were. They needed a few years to get acclimated and figure it out. Uh, the Expos even a little bit had a really good lineup still in the mid to late nineties. It didn't really end after 94, but the arms, Javier Vasquez, Ted Lilly, all these guys who eventually made all-star games, they weren't ready when they first brought them up. They needed a few years. By the time they were ready, the bats were gone. So if you're going to go completely homegrown, it has to be arms first followed by bats. The other version that works is you bring the bats up and then you pay for arms, either in hundreds of millions of dollars 
or enormous amounts of trade capital. That's the model the Astros followed when Michael Elias was there. Again, you look at their their World Series team in 2017. Lance McCullers was homegrown. Dallas Keuchel was homegrown. But you look at really the biggest arms on those teams, 17 and 19, they were acquired in trade. You know, Furlander, Cole, Granke, all big contracts they took on. And you look at the Cubs as well. They drafted all the bats up high. They got them up, and then they paid through the nose for pitching. John Lester, John Lackey, et cetera. Kyle Hendricks was a good acquisition in the minor leagues. So right now, if you're the Orioles, you see the model they're following, which is that Astros Cub model. An example of the other model that works pitchers first, bats later, that's what the Giants did when they won three World Series in five years. Linscombe Kane, Bumgarner, Sanchez came first, and then it was Crawford, Posey, Sandoval, all the bats later. What the Orioles are doing is the model of home grow the bats and then the arms are going to have to come in free agency or trade. I don't know if the Angelos family is willing to take on the hundreds of millions of dollars in salaries. They're going to have to with the way they're doing this rebuild. Again, the Cubs did it that way. The Astros did it the way. Their owners were willing to do that. That's what the Orioles are going to have to do at some point. Not this year. The timing's not right. But I have questions whether or not ownership will give the green light. I like this position player core. I, I think there's a lot of talent there, but even if let's say Grayson Rodriguez hits and he's everything we think he's going to be, let's say DL hall stays healthy, finds the strike zone and is this left-handed stud. We see he has the potential to be with his stuff. Great. You've got three starters. You still need, I mean, realistically to get through a season four or five more who are at least average or better and, probably need two other frontline types and those don't come cheap. You know, they're going to need a player development breakthrough. They're going to need, uh, they're going to need a lot to happen. And I think for me, that's where my doubts about this rebuild come in. When the time comes, will the Angeluses be willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on pitching? I don't know if the answer is yes. That's my question. In terms of when they'll be good again, it's not going to be this year. It probably won't be next year. I think you're looking 2024 at the earliest before they get respectable. And then we'll see if they add the arms then. All right, Jeff, moving into the Central, we hit on the White Sox a bunch. The Guardians are a team that you and I feel very differently about. And this is kind of what's fun about this, um, you know, different perspectives, and we'll see how it all plays out. You said earlier you believe the Guardians are a playoff team. You stated you felt like they had one of the, the deepest 40-man rosters in baseball, and just they're going to be able to pull up from that weak division. I have more questions. I really like this rotation. You know, one guy you didn't mention, Cal Quantrill, was their best starter last year. Baron Savali, Baron Plesak. Um, I've been a Cal Quantrill fan for a while. I think that was a guy that the Padres didn't know what they had. I know for a fact they didn't know what they had. Um, they, were, they were down on him later, and it was very clear there was something still there. And even once you get past the starting five, they have a lot of guys who can come up and help. Cody Morris, Tobias Myers, Peyton Battenfield, guys who maybe aren't on top 100 lists but are, are – good pitchers in the upper levels who can help. I don't know how this team's going to score. Um, you look at it, last year, Jose Ramirez and Fran Mo Reyes were the only players in this lineup to have OPSs over 750. They were the only players to have an OPS league average or above. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is taking some steps forward, but, but even if you kind of say, okay, Hull joined that club this year, okay, you've got three guys. Um, once you get to the bottom of this order, I, I just see automatic outs. Bradley Zimmer is an automatic out. Austin Hedges is an automatic out. They, they've got other spots that they just, they don't have enough juice. This was a, a bottom 10 lineup in baseball last year. I think it's possible it's even worse this year. Um, 
I, I have questions about how this team is going to score runs. I, I really have a lot of doubts that they're going to score enough to be competitive. Even in the Central, I actually think this is the fourth place team in the Central. I personally would have the Tigers and Twins ahead. But again, you know, there, there's different perspectives here. What do you see in this offense that gives you faith they'll score enough to keep them competitive? Well, I think, you know, two of the holes that you mentioned there, I think Bradley Zimmer is eventually going to get replaced by Stephen Kwan. Um, I think Stephen Kwan is actually sort of a sleeper. You want a real sleeper that, you know, it's like 40 to one to win AL rookie of the year. Um, I think Stephen Kwan is one uh, good all around player does a lot of things. Well, he's a really difficult out. I think that Andreas Jimenez can take a, take a step forward this year. Fremo Reyes, Jose Ramirez are good. Miles Straw is unusual, but I do think is a unique player that can get on base. They put a lot of pressure on the defense and, you know, the pitcher and the catcher in terms of, you know, their base running up and down the lineup. There's a lot of good base runners here and really the positions that they need to replace. Like I, personally, I think they probably need to replace Bobby Bradley um, yep. with a better option. Austin Hedges, you know, you have Brian Levestita who did make the lineup, excuse me, did make the opening day roster, who I think is a really underrated offensive catching prospect and a guy that probably, and I don't think it's a saying much, can do more than Austin Hedges with the stick immediately. Uh, you know, in terms of what they have in the pitching staff, you made a great point with, with Cal Quantrill. I think, you know, one through four, they're as good as anybody. If Tristan McKenzie uh, is consistent and takes a step forward, uh, there's an opportunity there, especially if he stays healthy, that he could be a really good number five starter in comparison to some of the other teams in this division. Um, it's a deep bullpen. There's a lot of different looks in this bullpen. There's a lot of firepower uh, within this pen. And then you're talking about, um, you know, a 40-man roster that features a variety of guys that could contribute this year uh, if things go right. Richie Palacios, who isn't the first name that comes to mind, but I think is, you know, a versatile player that could fill a few different roles, might be an offensive upgrade from some of the guys they have now. Um, I'm not a huge Nolan Jones fan, but I think you look at like Tyler Freeman, who we've had some conversations about, uh, Brian Rocchio, um, Gabriel Arias, all guys that aren't nothing offensively. And then George Valera, in my opinion, is the type of offensive player. We saw what he could do at double A last year for a little bit of an extended stint there where he could play his way onto the major league roster by mid to late July. And you have plenty of options here to potentially acquire offensive players. And you're not looking, you know, I think you probably do need a center fielder long-term potentially, but you're not looking for like a franchise shortstop. I think they have enough middle infielders. So there's no questions there. You're looking for like a first baseman, another outfielder, um, you know, another potential, you know, a number five starter. And then they're managed by one of the best managers in all of baseball and a guy that knows how to win and has had success with young teams. He's had success with veteran teams. I'm really interested to see what the guardians can do this year. Could they be a fourth place team in this division? Absolutely. But I do think there's actually a, a chance that they could be the second best team in this division. They're not going to be the White Sox, but if they pitch well, they play good defense, they're good in terms of manufacturing runs, base running, they do some of those things well, and a couple of these, these guys take breakouts. I don't think it's such a stretch to think that this team could be, you know, upper 80s wins. I think the cap is probably 90. You know, they're not going to be a powerhouse, but they could be a team that sneaks into the back end of the playoffs. 
And I don't know. I think it's my, it's my fun prediction this year, and we'll see if it happens. I could totally fall flat in my face. Um, but this is what makes baseball fun is sometimes these teams taking a step forward that you don't necessarily see. So my fun prediction I made, and I swear, and we have proof, I made this before they signed Carlos Correa, was the Twins going from yeah. last place to the playoffs. Uh, there, our magazine went to press, or at least our picks had to be turned in before the Twins signed Correa. Before they signed him, I picked the Twins as my surprise team. I think this is a lineup that has a chance to be one of the best in baseball. There's a lot of guys primed for bounce back years. You add Carlos Correa. Um, you know, we'll see if Gary Sanchez can kind of find something a little bit in a new environment. I think it just it was no longer a workable situation in New York. But Jorge Polanco is a really good player. I think Luis Arias is one of the most fun guys to just watch hit in baseball. You know, Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, these guys have their flaws, but they've shown the ability to do damage. I mean, this Twins lineup in 2019 set a major league record for home runs in a season. And I look at this lineup, I'm like, yeah, this group can absolutely threaten for that again. This is a really, really good explosive lineup. The pitching, there's a lot of questions. There's no question about it. You know, you like the Sunny Gray acquisition, but you're really banking on Joe Ryan and, and Bailey Ober taking steps forward because Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer at this point are not really what you want. Um, but I just see a really good offense and a decent top three and, and a division where they'll have a chance to rack up some wins. For me, they're kind of the surprise team of, okay, if there's a team out there that was under 500 or, or in last place last year, that's going to take a jump and maybe get back to the postseason they'd be my pick. Now, am I saying today they're going to be a playoff team? No, but just if I'm looking for a surprise team, just like you're kind of with the Guardians saying, okay, yeah, they could absolutely finish in fourth, but I can see a scenario where they get into second place and beating up on some worse teams, get a, a higher win total and sneak into the postseason. You think that could be the Guardians? I think that can be the Twins. And they did that one year, the year they made the wild card with 85 wins when they were a worse team than some teams that had worse records but they were beating up on a horrible division so i think they have a chance to to kind of do that again and, and that actually leads us into the orioles and tigers so we talked about the rebuilds discussion and and that article i wrote so for me the tigers are the team out of all those four rebuilds pirates orioles and royals that i feel best about because i like the method they're going about this again we talked about get the arms up first let them acclimate we've seen casey mize and Tarek scubel two top 50 overall pitching prospects they really struggled in their, in their debuts. They struggled at times last year, but they started to take steps forward. And now in their third season, you say, okay, now they can really possibly take, take a step and carry the load. I like the Eduardo Rodriguez signing. I like the Tucker Barnhart acquisition, especially defensively, how he'll help that pitching staff. I did not love the Javier Baez signing, not for that money, not for that many years, um, but he's better than what they had. I actually really like the Austin Meadows trade for them. You know, this offense is starting to take shape where it's not horrendous. You look at Jimer Candelario, Robbie Grossman, you add Meadows, you add Baez, and Torkelson and Green potentially at some point in the year. I think there's enough offense there to support what I think is going to be a really good pitching staff. And, and we talked about bullpens that are underrated. Tigers' bullpen is sneaky good. They've got a lot of guys that, you know, maybe wouldn't be recognized on the street. But Gregory Soto and Jose Cisnero that have been good pitchers for a while though Cisnero just went down the strange shoulder we have to see how that works you know Andrew Chafin got hurt as well but you know when healthy Cisnero and Chafin are, are good setup guys you have Gregory Soto Michael Fulmers reinvented himself as this really really good relief pitcher and, and I do think the Tigers 
under Chris Fetter, they, they've shown the ability to do some things with some homegrown arms. We saw Spencer Turnbull take steps forward, although that was pre-Fetter. Um, he's down with Tommy John surgery. But Tyler Alexander came out of nowhere, was respectable last year. I think Matt Manning, just as we saw Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal take steps forward from year one to year two, I think we'll see that from him. Uh, of all the rebuilds that I think are going to work, this is the one. Um, again, I just like this, you know, brought the, bat, brought the arms up first have some bats. Jonathan Scope, again, was, has been pretty good. A kill Badu is a good rule five pick. Um, I think the Tigers are a legitimate wildcard contender. Now I can see it going sideways, but I, I think there's a chance. And, you know, for me, when I stack them up against the Royals, you know, the Royals had a lot of their pitchers go backwards last year. We talked about the Tigers arms taking steps forward. Brad Keller went backwards. Brady Singer went backwards. You know, Chris Bubich was okay. Um, you know, they, they just signed Zach Greinke who couldn't even really crack the Astros rotation at the end of the year. Their rotation scares me a little bit. And I think their lineup, I actually would probably take the Tigers lineup over it right now. What are your thoughts on these two and where they stack up? Yeah. You know, Detroit, I still have some question marks, um, around the quality of that bullpen, especially with some of the injuries that they have. Chafin and Cisnero, that those are big injuries that hurt it. No question. Yeah, and I think especially when you think about some of the options that are there. Um, the lineup is improved. I agree with you on Javi, Javi Baez. I don't love the contract. I don't love the money. But I do like the fact that they went out and they added an above-average major league player and certainly better than anything that they had in their system in terms of playing shortstop in the immediate future. So um, it made sense. It was one of those sort of reinforcement moves. I thought Meadows was a really astute move. I agree there. I think Candelario, Scope or underrated Tucker Barnhart gives them, um, you know, defensive value. Uh, when Riley Green comes back, they probably have more of a true center fielder. I have some questions about them defensively uh, in the outfield. And, you know, I like the top of their rotation uh, with Rodriguez, Mize, and Scooble. Um, but I, I still have major question marks about Matt Manning ever clicking. Um, Tyler Alexander was a nice story last year. I don't know if that's sustainable long-term. Um, so I just have some questions about the pitching there, but I do think that, um, you know, the back end of that rotation, as you mentioned, you know, Chris Fetter, former, you know, uh, Michigan um, uh, uh, pitching coach, um, certainly a big addition. And I think we saw the step forwards, uh, steps forward that Mize and Scooble took last year. If we get something similar with Manning, um, I think that is huge for them. Um, when I look at Kansas City, they have some of the most exciting players possible. Right? Bobby Witt Jr., I think Nick Prado is a really exciting offensive player. Um, he's pretty good defensively uh, as well. Alberto Mondesi, a really exciting player. They're Are you still be a lot on of that train? I, I got to tell you, I think Alberto Mondesi is, aside from Joey Gallo, the number one guy whose reputation <laughs> does not hold up to his actual performance and production. At least Gallo is a really good it's defender just... who can hit you some long home runs. Alberto Mondesi has been a well below average player, not, not a little below average, a well below average player by every, you know, average on base slug defense. I mean, aside from his speed, he has not been a good player. And we're now, this is now going to be his seventh season. Why are we still talking about this guy? Get him out of there. Because he's incredibly exciting for three weeks a year and looks like the best <laughs> player on earth for three weeks a year and then is like the worst player on earth for the, the remaining time. I, I think, I I think, think he's a drag kind of on this team, worst. to be honest. I think, I think he's a guy they need to jettison. Lopez is your shortstop. 
Witt's your third baseman. Right. If you if you want to make him your twenty fifth guy, utility man, go right ahead. You know, make him a pinch hitter. But ah, yeah, sorry. Anyway, I interrupted you. Continue. No, no problem. Kyle, Kyle is out on the. It all comes together. Byron Buxton style season for Alberto Mondesi. It's Completely fine. out. Um, yes. <laughs> but I think that like th- there's some exciting pieces here. I don't think that they have it all together yet. These this young players are probably going to take a year for it all to fully gel. Um, you look at the rotation. Yeah, they've drafted some arms. Good on them for getting Bubich and Singer up to the major leagues as quickly as they did. Um, Brad Keller was a, you know, a nice uh, player that they added. But as you said, he took a step back. Um, they added some players like, you know, Amir, Amir Garrett, I thought was a nice addition in the bullpen. Um, I still don't love all their options, you know, there either. And there's not really a lot more pitching coming, at least in the immediate future. Um, Asa Lacey isn't the kind of guy like a Jack Leiter or somebody, you know, or, or Max Meyer from his draft class where I think he's going to be up in the major leagues at some point this year and potentially pitching meaningful innings. Daniel Lynch, for all the stuff that he's ha- he has, he's now 25. And, you know, I think in a, a, a couple of opportunities he's, he's had, he's sort of fallen on his face. Jackson Carr, there's some questions there about sort of a third pitch uh, and if, if he's ever going to have enough to really be a starter. There's a lot of bullpen pieces that they have, like Zerpa, uh, Tillo, Hazley, who are interesting, but haven't sort of taken that step forward into being like good major league relievers. There's a lot of pieces here, particularly on the pitching side. It has not come together yet. Um, and I think for them to win, that has to happen. I don't have much questions about sort of the big three here in terms of their offensive prospects with Bobby Witt Jr., Prado, and Melendez. I think all those guys are going to hit to some degree and be off, you know, productive offensive players. The lineup, probably fine long-term, but they need to add some pitching. So they're kind of, when you talk about the rebounds, they're sort of like the opposite. They have to go out and spend money, money to add sort of that front-line pitching. I don't know if they're going to do it. I don't think they have the horses as well. I don't think they have the guys that even if they hit their 90% outcome, I still think Coar, Lynch, Bubich, Singer, none of those guys are number one or number two starters. At best, you're talking you know threes and fours on a competitive team. So I think this is sort of a flawed rebuild a little bit in terms of they don't have the aces that they brought up early. They might have tried it, but – they're not really at that level in terms of the type of pitchers you need to be breaking out. I don't think any of those guys are on par with Scooble or Casey Mize where they have, you know, potential for three above average or better pitches. Yeah. I think the process has been fine. Get the arms up first. And then the wave of bats is coming and they did a good job keeping two core players to build around with Sal Perez and Whit Merrifield signing them to extensions that have more than paid off. Um, it was interesting, again, talking with evaluators, or I should say front office officials around the game. The Royals rebuild is the one they were the most bullish on. And a lot of that was just a, a ton of respect for Dayton Moore and the staff in Kansas City. Just this this ironclad belief that he will make the right moves at the right time to get them over the hump. There's still more moves to be made. There's no question. As currently constructed, this is not a playoff team. Um, they're not. They're a team that has not had a winning record in a couple of years. So there's a lot of dead weight here. Carlos Santana and Hunter Dozier and Michael A. Taylor and, and Alberto Mondesi. That's got to get cleared out. But you have guys coming up behind him with Prado, with Melendez, depending on where they want to put him defensively, with Bobby Witt. So um, I, I think they have they have talent. And again, these pitchers we've talked about, 
they have talent. It's just, they all kind of went backwards last year and you want to see them kind of take a step forward. You know, we talk about the Tigers going arms first, then bats. The Tigers arms are better than the Royals arms and the bats, you know, would you rather have Witt, Melendez and Prado or Green and Torkelson? I might take Green and Torkelson, even though it's two versus three. So I think it's similar processes and the Tigers just have better players. But there's a lot of faith within the industry. The Royals will will figure it out and make the right moves. It, it won't be this year, but I, I'm not going to say it won't work, but I definitely wouldn't put them in my top pick to work out. But a lot of people in the industry who have a lot of experience uh, do, and I, I don't think you could ignore that. All right, Jeff, wrapping up with the West here, we already hit a lot on the Angels, the Mariners, and Astros. The Rangers are the team that had the biggest offseason of any of them. They spent more than $500 million in free agency. I tallied it up, and it's in our uh, power rankings today. I was over $580 million. It was $500 million just on Corey Seager and Marcus Semien alone, and then you add John Gray and Cole Calhoun and all the other guys they added. It was upwards of $580 million in one offseason. Are they on the right track? And and how close or far are they uh, from competing? Because this was a 102-loss team last year. And um, again, a team that was just utterly non-competitive for pretty much the entire year. Now, you spend all that money and Brad Miller is still your leadoff hitter. So. Hey, hey, hey. I will not deal with any Brad Miller slander. He was a nice underrated player for that, Philadelphia. That, that, that's, a, that's a solid player and an A++ human being. I will not deal with Brad Miller slander on this podcast. All right. No problem. And then Andy Abanez as your third baseman. But it's fine. I mean, they, they dealt with the just, you know, young injury. And there's certainly a chance that he would have been the guy sort of breaking camp if he did the things that we thought he could do. Um you know, the offense looks good. Uh, Simeon and Seager are great additions. Um, adding Mitch Garver, I think, was a good addition. He sort of found a, a happy medium of production last year um, in terms of, you know, getting on base and hitting for some power. Um, you know, Nate Lowe, um, I think, was a good addition, sort of an underrated um, option at, at first base. Uh, Adalas Garcia was a nice breakout. Cole Calhoun's kind of underrated you know, questions about Willie Calhoun consistently hitting. Sure. It's not a bad lineup. I have a lot of questions about the pitching. Um, John Gray, as you know, we'll see what he can do outside of Colorado in a good environment uh, for once. Um, I think that was a fine signing. I don't have an issue with that one. But the rest of this rotation, Martin Perez, Dean Dunning, who's okay, fine, but I think you really want him more as like a four or five starter. Taylor Hearn, who's always had really good stuff dating back to his days with Pittsburgh. Um, but I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain health and be effective and get, you know, uh, you know, go through the lineup twice. I just don't have questions about that. Spencer Howard, another one. The talent is there. Is the breaking ball too easy to pick up out of the hand? That's a question that I've always had with him. Um, I just don't know if there's enough talent there in the starting rotation. I guess Kobe Aller is sort of you know, a long guy, uh, former Dodgers prospect standup. Dan- Dennis Santana's back is another long guy there. I don't know if this ever like takes enough substance to be a competitive, good pitching staff. I think they're on the right track. You know, I think one of the things with the Rangers and what I think is encouraging is I think they, they're, they're being honest with themselves. They recognize that this big wave of talent they were pumping up in the minor leagues for a few years, they've acknowledged these guys just weren't that good, and which 
I was seeing a lot at Hickory and down East and, and you know, the class A levels, you know, Leo de Tavares and Anderson Tejeda and uh, JP Martinez and all these guys they were counting on and, you know, shirt and apostle, you know, all these guys, Oh, these guys are great. It's our next wave. No, they weren't. They were 40 to 45 grade players. If you liked them. And I didn't like a lot of them. Um, I think they've, they've kind of realized, okay, the help we need to be competitive is not coming from within the system. They went out, they spent money, they made some trades. Again, I, I like the Garver and low acquisitions, especially in trades. Um, and, and they've actually kind of reloaded the farm system. Now they actually have good players between high draft picks and, and also just, you know, some smart trades. Uh, they got some guys for Joey Gallo who look interesting. They, they got some guys for Kyle Gibson who could be interesting. So, you know, you have Jack Leiter and Cole Wynn probably making their debuts during the year at some point. So I, I think that for the first time, Really, since their playoff runs ended in 2016, I look at this team and say, yeah, they're heading in the right direction. So I think that's that's a start. Is this team going to go from 60 wins to 90? No, they're probably going from 60 to 72, but they're moving in the right direction, and I think that's important. Jeff, speaking of teams and, and changing directions, the A's tore down this offseason. It was just an absolute, complete tear it down to the studs, although I guess Frankie Montas is still on the team, and thus it's not completely torn down, but it, it, this was just, again, trading Matt Olson, trading Matt Chapman, trading Chris Bassett, trading Sean Manaya, and then all the guys they let go in free agency, you know, Starlick Marte being foremost among them after a really, really good season last year, they brought him over the trade deadline, but, you know, Mark Hanna, even, you know, Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison, Andrew Chafin, all guys they acquired, you know, Jed Lowry, Sergio Romo, Jake Diekman, all these guys who were good players who got big league deals. I mean, now you look at this lineup and it's, it, it's kind of barely a major league team right now. So I, I want to actually ask who's the more disappointing teardown to you this off season, the A's or the Reds? I think it's probably the A's. Um, you know, they've made some trades where I just, I didn't feel like they got the value back. They should have, I didn't have a problem. Um, with the Matt Chapman trade, I thought that they got, you know, a decent return there. I think Gunnar Hoagland is a, is a good arm. We knew that they were on him uh, in draft season last year, so it didn't come as a huge surprise. I, I didn't love the return that they got for Matt Olson, considering the type of talent that he was. Um, I'm not a huge Christian Pache believer. Um, I think he kind of falls in line with a few of those Rangers prospects you were just talking about. <laughs> We thought he was really good. He's really more of a 40, 45 grade player. Um, and you look up and down this lineup and it's still sort of the case. Now, will they move Sean Murphy and potentially get a better return? Sure. I like Shay Lang, Lang Lears. I think that was a good addition and a guy that they could probably bring up and replace Sean Murphy pretty easily. I know you got some looks at him last night. You know, I, I, Kevin Smith was fine. I don't love Kevin Smith. I, you know, he's probably another guy that's, a second division regular, and this is sort of who he is. Um, you know, if that breaks out, I guess that's a win for them. But, you know, I look at the Reds, and, um, you know, I really like Brandon Williamson. I think Brandon Williamson is an underrated player. Um, Justin Dunn's been injured, but maybe in a different program, Justin Dunn can be better. The stuff is there. Even if they turn him into sort of a high-leverage reliever, which is what his initial role was at Boston College uh, before his breakout year and his draft spring, um, He's a guy that I think, you know, has an opportunity to be better. So, you know, I'm inclined to lean toward the Reds, but only because I, I felt like the return 
was a little bit better because I do think that Brandon Williamson, top 100 prospect, a guy who could be, you know, a number three in that rotation behind Ladolo and Green. Um, I, you know, I felt like, okay, that makes sense. And they even went out and signed some players like whatever you think about Tommy Pham. At least Tommy Pham is a somewhat productive offensive player uh, getting every day at bats and a good park, by the way, for the first time. And they still do have some, some young major league talent and guys like Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson on the roster. Um, so we'll see what happens, but I, I really didn't like a lot of the returns for Oakland and I don't know, maybe the returns will be better for Frankie Montes and, you know, Sean Moriano when he comes back, he'll be moved. Yeah. You know, Loriano, another one that, you know, if a team wants to touch him, if he comes back and he looks good, uh, you know, it was a PED suspension, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, I don't, I don't love what Oakland's done this off season. I don't think that they've gotten, you know, maximized sort of returns on some of the players, especially when they're training pitchers. I think the A's are the more disappointing teardown for a couple of reasons. One, they were a good team. They won 97 games back to back years in 2018, 19, the shortened 2020 season. They were on pace to win 97 games again. And last year they were in the playoff race until the final two weeks of the season. They let their incredible manager walk away for nothing. You know, the trade returns, I thought was a very, very mixed bag on a lot of things. And the other thing is, again, you know, Cincinnati is at least legitimately as a city, it's a small market. Oakland is not a small market. There's a difference between a team playing in a small market and being a small market franchise. Oakland is not a small market. The A's are a small market franchise because they're run like one. They have stadium issues, but, but the A's, you know, Oakland is a quote unquote, it's one of those fake small market franchises like Miami, like San Diego. Those aren't small markets, just ownership at various points has been too cheap to pay for you know, the players they need to compete. Oakland is, again, Oakland's not a small market. This was a good team. Back-to-back 97 win seasons on pace for 97 and, and in the playoffs race until the final two weeks of last year. They have an owner unwilling to spend money. Let's not forget John Fisher wouldn't even pay his minor leaguers until he was shamed into doing so because every other team said they were going to do so. I mean, that's a rounding error to him as an individual and to the A's organization as a whole. I just think this was a good team. They tore it down unnecessarily. And, you know, I got to be honest, I've seen this playbook before. Strip the team of all its talent, let the stadium fall into ruin, and then complain that fans don't show up and use it as an excuse to move. Um, I saw this with everything that's happening with the A's. It just reminds me so much of the Chargers being a San Diegan and all the moves that were made, the way the stadium was allowed to fall into disrepair, um, the way negotiations have gone. I think this is they're setting the stage to make things so bad that they can say, well, look, we have a terrible stadium and no fans and use it as an excuse to move. I, I really think that's what this is. And it's a shame because I, I think the city of Oakland and Oakland fans deserve better. So for me, they're the more disappointing teardown for reasons beyond just baseball on the field, at least again, th- this was unnecessary. There's ulterior motives here. And um, it's just a shame because this is a good franchise. And, and again, they were a good team four years running and they could have been good again in 2022. And they chose, they willingly chose not to be when they didn't have to do that. So, all right, Jeff, as we wrap up here, any final thoughts? No, I think we did a thorough job of running through the entirety of the American league. After two hours, I would hope we were thorough (laughs) (laughs) and discussing every possible scenario with each team. So um, that was a lot of fun. I'm excited for the season. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, opening day is tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. So uh, opening day is tomorrow on Thursday. And we'll listen back to this uh, at the end of October and see just how wrong we were about everything, Jeff. It's, uh, <laughs> it's always fun, such as the nature of the predictions business. Uh, but thank you again for listening. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. We've got the NL preview podcast coming up. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.